to REI Spotlight with your host, David Schwan, and today's special guest is Amy Tiemann. Amy, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, why don't you tell my listeners a little bit of how you got into real estate and a little bit of your background? So I was, um, before I got, right before I got into real estate, um, I had, I had left, I was in the tech world as an HR person and I had left that and, um, because of the downturns of 2001 and, and it just kind of trickled, kept going down from there. Um, and I had to, I was at applied materials at the time. It's a semiconductor, um, equipment manufacturer in Austin. And, um, I had gone through about eight layoffs with that company and I had made through all of them, but I was the one delivering the layoffs. I was all in the back rooms deciding who gets to keep their job and who doesn't get to keep their job. And after that's, about the eighth one, I was like, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah that's anymore. Uh, I'm I'm not sure if uh, you know depending on on who it is if the layoff I'm not really sure if it's more impactful on the person who has to do the laying off or the person who's getting laid off because yeah, it's, it, it's rough both ways. Yes, it's very it's it's awful and um and I I didn't agree with a couple of things that the company was doing so I was like you know I'm I'm good I'm you know I'm good so um. And so, yeah, so then my husband at the time had started a construction company, it was real small, and he had just started it. And I was like, well, why don't we just, you know, do, do this together? And so we did, and we grew that to be a national commercial construction company. We were about 16 states at one point, um, building retail stores. And um, and we had started along the way doing, um, locally doing multifamily um <clears throat> so we were nationally doing retail and then locally we started in 2010, started renovating multifamily um, properties. Right. So we, in 2008, so back up, I started as a single family investor. So like every contractor gets in, into flipping houses basically, I and mean, pretty much every contractor does. Yeah. Just about. So, yeah. Or it does something where you're living. They're improving real estate for other people. And eventually they go, we can do this ourselves. Like, you know, it's just, just generally how it goes. So we did, we had 2008, we started flipping homes for ourselves and then we had single family rentals. And then 2010, we did, um, we got uh, involved with a group and we it, uh, partnered in our first multifamily investment in 2010 in Austin. And we were the GC on the job. So not only were we a limited partner, but we were also the GC and, and all of our limited partner investments went that way. We were always a limited partner. We were also the GC. So we all came in and and then not only were we the GC for that project, we ended up renovating. Everybody found out we were renovating multifamily. And so they're, holy crap, okay, here we go, get done. And so we ended up multifamily um, doing 35, 40 multifamily renovations over a couple of years. Um, some awesome. of them were extensive. I mean, we did all sorts of stuff like electrical work and interior tenant finish out, all the exteriors and roofing and you know, all sorts of stuff. Like we did everything and uh, it was a great experience. Um, and then about 2015, we're like, yeah, we're good. Like we don't want to do construction anymore. We're good. <laughs> you know, so we'll just be full time in the multifamily owning and operating. And we'll just, we'll just rehab our own stuff. You know, we'll just kind of do it from there. So we did. Um, and then, so we invested in, um, and we bought our own on our own in 2015. We sold um, uh, our single families and used it as a down payment, uh, for a 40 unit, bought that on our own. Um, and then, um, my husband, and I, 
um, separated in 2016. So shortly thereafter we did that and then got divorced in 2017. And then I just kept going. So then I syndicated, uh, deals, um, multifamily deals. And I, that's kind of my gig. That's what I do. I'm a full-time multifamily investor, property manager, um, and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that's kind of awesome. Awesome. Uh, what markets are you, uh, are, are you concentrating in right now? Texas. So, um, I am right now, I've got three properties under contract in Houston and I'm about to have two more. And, um, so I like the Houston market. Um, and then I like college station. College station is a great market. If I could find a property in there, I would buy it in a heartbeat. I already own, I've owned three properties there in Bryan college station. Um, I was under contract for, well, I was putting an LOI in on one in College Station and the owner just kind of pulled it back because the occupancy dropped and um, he didn't want it. It was 176 unit in College Station. He didn't want to sell it because he wanted to, he thought he was getting lowballed because his occupancy was teetering. Well, it was not, it's a piece of junk and it needs to be lowballed anyway. But his occupancy dropped. So he knew fairly well because it's a piece of junk. And it has issues. And if you have a low occupancy, it just limits your debt. And at that time, he's right. He was totally right. I mean, he's, he's not stupid. I mean, he's just, he's he's bought tons of property. So he's like, let me get the occupancy back up. I still want to sell. So let me get the occupancy back up and kind of get it more stabilized for, you know, three or four months. Um, that way you'll have more options on the debt side. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense, dude. I, I'm with you. You know, that's fine. Yeah. Um, so, so we, so at the time when I was doing that, the broker on that deal, he's a friend of mine. I've done several transactions with him. He found, he had these in Houston. He's like, Hey, Amy, you want to go look at these London <laughs> Houston? I'm like, sure. You know, so Why not? I did. And that's how I got them under contract. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So what was, uh, and, and a lot of my listeners know some of these points, but I, I always love asking this conversation, you know, this point when somebody has transitioned from the single family side yep. over into the multifamily side. Yep. Um, what were the two biggest uh, keys that made you decide to, uh, to, to go from the single family to the multifamily side? So um, obviously everybody kind of understands economies of scale. So that's one. Right. I mean, but you fully Definitely. realize it when you get to multifamily. Two is depending on the market that you're in, sometimes you run out of single families that are affordable to buy that you can use as it, depending on the markets that you're in. Then you become, uh, you're just in a market where you're competing with more people. There's a larger pool of competitors for that home. Not only do you have investors, but you have like home buyers and you have, you know, all these people that want to buy houses. And so it's very difficult for you to find deals, right? I mean, when there's foreclosures and there's like nobody's buying a house, it's a great time to be a single family investor, right? <laughs> but when, you know, when the market turns and there's nothing available, you know, so you got to go, huh, okay, uh, let's go find something else to invest in. And, and multifamily, multifamily cycles differently. And there's always a deal because, and that's the stuff that you learn is because there's somebody's always selling a multifamily property because of the financing and the terms that they get and when they cycle off their IO period and all these other things that you, you learn as a multifamily investor. So the, there's a more plethora of deals, um, except for when there was COVID, like nothing was on the market. Like, 
but um but you know covid's an anomaly and so um but yeah you just kind of you you're able to get into more investments as a multi-human business as long as you're with a group and you find an experienced mm-hmm. operator and and you're able to invest money that way you, you'll you'll be able to put your money more places and not have to be dependent upon the cycles um as much definitely right? yeah 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 so de- definitely yeah, yeah, definitely the, the the market cycle and you know just that that has a huge that that's one of the reasons that I also got into you know into the multifamily space was because yeah. you, you know that's what makes it enticing is that fact that you know it doesn't go through quite the same roller coaster cycle as you know other uh, you know as other investment vehicles, right. Right. It's very stable. I mean, it, even through COVID, it was like the place to be, right? It became the it became the crown jewel of investments because people had to have a place to live. And yeah, and not everybody was a was a horrible tenant and didn't pay the rent. Most people do. I mean, if you're renting to people who are good people, they don't change their stripes in the pandemic. They don't necessarily become all losers. When a pandemic hits, they, they, I mean, they pay the rent because that's just who they are, you know, that's just how they're wired. So, yeah. So like the collections, I mean, you know, if you're getting 85% collections during a pandemic, I mean, that's, that's awesome. And then that's kind of where Texas was pretty much. I mean, like in the, in the nation too, like, so everybody's like, oh, nobody's going to pay the rent and they're in class D and I'm just like, well, y'all are stupid because they are going to pay their rent. Well, it's. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And, and but then again, there's where, you know, the multifamily is probably a little bit more advantageous because, you know, yeah. if you have 100 units and you have 15 people that don't pay you, that's you're, that's you're much it, it, yeah. you, you can survive that where if you yeah. have if you have 10 single family homes and uh-huh. two of them don't pay. That's it's the yes. same percentage, but that's a whole different ball game. Yeah, you have to that. have that tenant pay the rent because you can't make the mortgage without it, right? Or the insurance payment, or any the, the, the tenant's always covering it, right? Yeah. So yeah, so you're just getting the cash flow difference, unless you've got a hundred homes, and then yeah, that's a different ball game. But if most single family investors don't, they have ten or less. You know, it's a side gig and it gives them cash flow and it's awesome sauce, right? It's great. And but if you do, if you have that where they just they can't pay your rent, right? And so then you're like, well, crap, you know. And most <laughs> single family investors aren't disciplined. Like it, when you get into the multifamily game, right? You your lender forces you to be disciplined. You have reserves for your taxes, for your capital expenses, for all these other things because you're running a business, right? And most single family investors don't know they spend all their cash flow. They do all, you know, so they're not saving. Um, then they get an AC craps out and they're like, oh, crap, I'm going to pay for that. You know, I mean, I went through, I did the same thing. I mean, it's not <laughs> like I'm an angel. I did the exact same thing. I'm like, Ooh, and I'm so glad I had a construction company because I could just call one of my guys going, hey, AC broke, but not everybody's like that, right? And so, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, we did the same thing. We didn't have reserves. We didn't, you know, we didn't do this. We paid our mortgages and, but when you get in the multifamily game, you become very, you become very, you have to be very disciplined. And so you're never should be, unless you undercapitalize the deal or the deal starts to go south, um, you, you tend to have the, the ability to run the business, right? You should, you shouldn't, you should not be not making your mortgage, right? You should be making it unless you get into this whole thing with COVID and then who knows? I mean, you know, but honestly, at the end of the day, 
the people that got impacted by COVID, they weren't doing well before COVID. They're probably barely making it, um, you know, and so the COVID just like sealed the deal. Right. Yeah, you know, uh, definitely. And but there's always going to be. Uh, well, like you said, that's one of the reasons, you know, there are always going to be properties that have something going on, whether yep. it's management, ownership, yep. you know, or just even financing yep. deals, like you said. I mean, there's yep. there's there's always a reason for there's multifamily available. Yeah. Um, yeah. You yeah. may or may not want to pay the price for what's available. <laughs> no, true. No, true. It's but always it, available. <laughs> yeah, but you got to understand the numbers game, right? And so you've got to, um, and that's that's a part of it too. Like when we first bought in Austin, oh my gosh, I mean, we were buying in 2010. We bought a property for thirty-seven thousand a door in Austin. <laughs> And everybody, you know, and now I look at the prices now, I go, oh, I just can't do it. I just, you know, and then next one we bought it was like 52, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then now I'm just like, oh, I can't spend $123,000 a door. I just can't. I just, I'm sorry, stay away from Austin just because it hurts me to try not to spend that much money. But I should get over it. And, and everything logically tells you to get over it because the numbers work. You're going to make a good return. It's still going to do well. Austin is like on this crazy trajectory. I just keep waiting for it to like, you know, correct. Right. And then I'm going to go jump in. Right. I just can't <laughs> wait. I mean, you know, the, hopefully this recession will correct some of that pricing and the craziness that's happening in Austin, but it's still growing, you know, Tesla's coming. You, you have all this stuff happening in Austin. Um, they haven't figured out the traffic problem. Please figure that crap. If they figure out the traffic problem, they're, they they're gonna know what to do with themselves. I mean, the the, <laughs> yeah. the 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 last two places that I've lived, the or the closest closest major city that I lived to was uh, Austin for three years, and then the last eight years has been Nashville. Uh, okay. and, and 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 their real estate and markets <laughs> are about twins. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and although Austin does have worse traffic, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been to Nashville. I like Nashville. Nashville's nice. Both like of them, both of them are markets and both of them have that same issue though, where you, you look at the, the, the Perdor price oh, and you I go, know. I know. You, you go, Oh, that's hard. But then if you wait six more months, it's like that Pador price just went up another 10 grand and you're like, holy crap, what do I do? You know, so so it's like, yeah, sometimes you just have to, you know, trust yeah. your numbers, trust your gut and trust your market. And, yeah. you know, especially when you have a strong, strong market with strong things, you know, sometimes you just got to bite the bullet, but it's like, it hurts. Oh, it does. Oh, I know it does. It's, it, and, and I, yeah, but so, but I can like, so the deals I've gotten in Houston are great and Houston's a fairly comparable MSA to Austin. Now, you know, Houston doesn't grow as fast because it's already the fourth largest city in the U S so like, yeah, it's not going to grow as fast as Austin or college station or somebody, but it's still growing. It's strong. It's growing at a strong clip for being as large as it is. It will yeah. actually overtake Chicago soon to be the third largest city. Cause there's 2000 people moving there a week and there's just, the medical center there is 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 booming. They've got a bunch of stuff opening up. So Houston's a really good market to be in. Um, and, and then when the oil prices come back, it'll be even better place to be in, right? Um, so, yeah. So that's why I like Houston. Dallas, Fort Worth, same thing. Dallas and Houston in that area. You know, if you invested in Dallas, Houston, or Austin, you're going to do well. I mean, you just, you're going to do well. It's a landlord-friendly state. 
Um, you know, there's no income tax here. Um, you know, there's just all sorts of um, booms to be in Texas. Um, and so I haven't ventured out of it. I've been investing for 12 years and have not gone outside of the state, even though there's other great markets, you know, Nashville being one, uh, Knoxville, another one, uh, Phoenix, um, you know, Atlanta. Um, there's just really good areas in the country, but I just, I don't have to go that far because I can still get great deals here. And, you know, I, and I can go visit properties by just writing and going there. Yeah. As I was about to say, I mean, you know, like you said, you're, you are, blessed to be in a physical location where you have access to multiple markets that, you know, are really solid foundation markets, you know, that, that, that aren't, you know, they have solid foundations. They're not really going anywhere. You know, there's certain places that just have inherent natural, you know, naturally just make good markets and you're fortunate enough to be located near some very good ones. So, you know, why, why the governor governor helps, um, his, his, you know, ever since Rick Perry was governor, he would go, he would, the other governors hated his guts because he would go steal all their companies. I mean, he just did it. (laughs) It was hilarious. Like at some point after a while, he's like, Oh, another company's moving to Texas. (laughs) It's just like, (laughs) dude, when you go to that governor's meeting with all the other governors, do you come out with like stabs in your back? I mean, like, <laughs> but he did, he actively courted and, you know, he tended to pick on democratic governors, but he actively courted uh, other, other companies going, Hey, why are you, why are you spending all this money and all this crap that you should come to Texas? And, and, and we, just tons of companies did as tons of companies still do. There's because it's a very, you know, the workforce is good. The infrastructure is good. Um, and so, yeah, it, it ends up, you know, Amazon's just building another, I'm in Waco and they're building a huge plant and they're going to hire a thousand people in Waco um, because yep. it's centrally located between Dallas and Austin. And um, so, yeah, there's, there's lots of nice things happening in Texas, which is great. So, yeah. So, yeah. Definitely those, uh, you know, those, the, the, the Texas market is, is, Doing well, but I, I think part of that is the fact that Texas just has so much land that you know you don't get. Uh... <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, eventually, eventually, you know, if you drive far enough, you'll find land. I mean, I mean, Houston, you start downtown Houston. Truly, honestly, you start downtown Houston, and you only have to drive maybe about fifteen miles, and there's open land you can go by. I mean, it's just it's very expansive. I mean, you're not unless you're going towards Galveston, right? Because that's all beach and that's all oil chemical. But you could go on the north side of Houston. That's why the north side's doing really well, um, because there's there's still room to grow, and you're fairly close to the MSA. It's not it's not bad. But yeah, the coolest thing about Texas, and I don't know if you even missed this, is the high speed bullet trains coming. And so you're going to be able. To, they had passed a major. Uh, thing last month or no, no no september at the end of september passed a major hurdle and they're going to start building it and um it's you're going to be able to get on a train in houston and be in downtown dallas in 90 minutes wow and, that yeah. is <laughs> yeah that's going to change the whole landscape so it's just going to go from houston to dallas right now um there's going to be one stop near college station because that's about you know not really halfway, but it's going to stop near College Station. So A&M, that's why I love College Station, because A&M is the fastest growing university in the, in the nation. And so they're going to also have this, right? So it's going to be, yeah. it's going to be kind of interesting. But yeah, 
Yeah. Let's see. Where was I at? Okay, back to back to. No, I was talking about the train, but we were talking about yeah. Houston. Yeah, yeah, in Dallas. Yeah. So, um, you know, in in those markets, um, what are you? I mean, are you still seeing is as far as new construction versus rehab? Um, mm-hmm. What do you? Which do you focus more on now? Are you looking on more of the newer stuff? Or are you looking for? rehabable stuff what's what are you yeah uh... so because of my construction background i don't know how it works out this way but it just has like the value play big rehab projects have just gravitated to me i don't you know it's just kind of a weird thing that happened so the ones in houston that i got that's exactly what they are um and so yeah and so i i I will eventually start developing i want to get there um and i'm looking at some places in waco to do that since amazon's coming um, but, and there's no real, no real su- supply in Waco. So it'd be a good time to start developing before anybody else, you know, mostly catch on. Um, and, uh, but, but I generally do find, and I enjoy, um, repositioning. So I usually, usually get, um, a piece of junk. I go in and make it really, really pretty. I change the tenant base. I do all of those kind of things. So that, that, commands a lower cap rate, which is great because then you can maximize your returns, right? Because I'm changing it from a class C minus D to, you know, closer to a B. And so just because of doing those things, right? And who you cater to and adding the amenities and doing all those kind of things. And if you get a deal, like, so the ones like I've got in Houston are, I'm, there's no, uh, nobody else getting the price per door that I'm getting that like in Houston right now. My, my broker's already said, look, Amy, we've sold, you, you've got the cheapest thing in town. I'm like, oh, great. I got to spend like 1.2 million on them. So you, you know. <laughs> yeah, <that's great. laughs> awesome. So, yeah. Awesome. That is, yeah. that is, so, that is yeah, awesome. And it, that those year. are fun. I mean, it's the stuff that I enjoy, right? I'm inherently a contractor at heart. My dad and my granddad were contractors, right? So I used to, when I was little, I rode around in the truck, right? You know, so it's just, it's just kind of who I am. And so it's nice to get those because I like seeing the changes. I like seeing making the difference. I like improving the communities. I like all of that stuff. And then, you know, you get really good returns that way. I mean, there's not a lot of, um, there's some value play ads out there, but, but repositioning is different because when you're repositioning, you have to actually have a piece of junk in a great location that you would actually reposition it to because you, there's pieces of junk and piece of junk locations like all the time. Right. It's finding yeah. that diamond in the rough because it's a piece of junk and it's just been neglected because the owners of whatever, and he hasn't, he hasn't paid attention to it or had the money or he ran out of money or his partners. In, you know, there's so many situations yeah. Um, that, that happened. Um, so yeah, so I think it's, um, yeah. Then, so that's kind of what these are. And, and I, I generally, um, and then there's sometimes when I haven't had the, the luxury, um, this one's actually going to be fairly nice because I mean, they're 90% occupied, so I'm not going to struggle for money. I'm like, I'm going to cover the debt. Yeah. Cause sometimes you get into a value play and you're like, oh, I have to raise so much extra money because we're not going to be able to cover the mortgage for a year because it's just like in the toilet, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, eventually those make sense too. But this this one's going to be different. It'll be nice. And like, there's going to be money coming in. They'll be able to cash flow and it'll be okay. It's just not the tenants that I want. We're going to have to change the tenants, right? So, that's yeah, that, 
that that being able to to take something that's not quite so shiny and be able to go in and and, and mm-hmm. you know shine it up and make it yeah. make it pretty and and yeah. and also you know be able to you know get that you know get that tenant base and and get yeah. you know get get a product in the neighborhood that is in demand and yeah. you know you've taken something that may have been you know kind of an eyesore and you've turned it more into you know yeah. a, a part of the neighborhood and you know it, it blends in and it, it it's something to you know it, it's something that is good in the neighborhood instead of something that's bringing the neighborhood down right yeah you yeah know. the drug deals stop the you know the prostitutes <laughs> go away and it's all a very good thing <laughs> yes <laughs> yes and you know those and those people who have kids the kids are safer and that that's that's the biggest thing i get worried about it's it's the saddest thing to see when you come in and take over these you know these properties from people who haven't been tainted it's the little kids it just scares the bejeebies out of me because you know you know that they're not you know paying attention to who's walking into that unit if they're if they're not a good manager and and so you know i i instantaneously go holy crap i gotta stop the drug traffic it's happening here and and you have done it before it's no big deal Uh, you just learn how to do it but yeah, because I just, I, I feel for the kids and I'm like, oh, I got to make sure that they're okay. You know, so it's, uh, it's one of those things. And so when you do, when you change that community and, and, and it's a safer place for everybody to be, it's, you know, the good tenants will stay. The ones that, that, you know, that were there for convenience or whatever it happened to be. And, and they're still great tenants, you know, and they just kind of put up with the crazy crap that the previous owner did. You know, some of yeah. them inherited the new owners and they didn't want to move. Like there's some of these, you know, you, you know, they've been there for 20 years. They don't want to move. But they yeah. put they, up they, with they, this they, bad they, owner, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, look, you know, and those are the, those are the tenants that when you, you know, you do the improvements and you come around and you say, well, your rent's going up. Those are the ones that go, okay, okay. I was expecting that, you know, and yeah. it's like, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll pay more because you've offered me more. You're giving me better, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. And that's, you know, and, and that's, that's when you know that you've done a, a, a you've done a good job oh. is when you tell your a, a tenant, I'm increasing your rent and they're just like, okay. And they don't even have a problem with it. That's when yeah. you know you've done your job, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I always ask for a, uh, what would be your best piece of advice for somebody who was new into the multifamily space? What would you suggest that they either do or read um, to get acclimated into the space? So they're going to have to learn a lot. Um, It's just a ton that you have to learn because it's a whole different ballgame, right? How you finance the properties is a whole different ballgame. Unless you're just got $10 million sitting in the bank, right? Um, you know, you can do whatever you want. Just go get a loan, do whatever you want. <laughs> you know, but most people don't have ten million dollars in the bank. But um, you know, so if you're going to create some sort of partnership, you're going to have to learn how to structure those. You're going to have to learn, you know, uh, all about the SEC and get, find a good SEC attorney. And um, you know, you're gonna because you're gonna likely do some sort of syndication. You're not going to do a syndication. You're going to do JV. Then you need to learn about how JVs and those still require attorneys. You have to have more people on your team. Um, so, um, but, but the whole deal structuring thing can make or break you. So you really need to understand how to structure a deal 
So it's most profitable for your investors, right? You can, through the financing, different ways to finance them, you can get in and out of your financing. You got to understand the liquidity requirements, the net worth requirements, all of those kind of things, depending on who's servicing your debt. You know, all of that kind of stuff is a big, big curve that like learning curve when you go from single family to multifamily. So it's sometimes good for you to limited partner with somebody else who's like an experienced operator and just pester the crap out of them with questions. Like, how did you do this? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? I eventually want to be a lead, FYI. And generally, if they're a good person, they're going to tell you because they want you to learn, you know, because they want you to, you know, I don't know. Everybody thinks it's glamorous being a sponsor. It's a crap ton of work. And it's like, and not everybody can do it because honestly, at the end of the day, you're running businesses. You not only you're running the the property entity, you're running, if you're self-managing, you're running the management entity, and then you're asset managing, which is three different things, right? Yes, Three different businesses, and you got to know how to do it. And everybody thinks, oh yeah, I can just go, I can do that. I'm like, no chance. I mean, it's hard. (laughs) If you've never run a business before in your freaking entire life, you can't. And that's why a lot of sponsors fail. So they get in there and they don't have a group or a mentor or somebody around them to kind of show them how to do it. Um, Is it because it is, it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy at all. So if you were to, so if you were to start and say, Hey, okay, I've had like seven or eight single family homes. I've been property managing them because that's kind of what I did. Um, so go buy a smaller one and go manage it yourself. Right. So that's kind of what we did. We bought a 40 unit and managed it ourselves and did everything ourselves and, um, and learned the ins and outs of it. And, um, now I will say, I wish I had partners on that one because then I would have been more, um, around the financial reporting and stuff. And we didn't, and you know, the, the cadence of which you have to have it and all that kind of stuff, when you're not having to report out to investors, you get a little lazy. You do. You do. You do. Because you got so much going on that you don't build out your team appropriately. Because when you, when you're asset managing and property managing and you're doing all of that kind of stuff, you have to have some, you know, like a team of five or six people you do. And you have to have a, you have to have a CFO. You got to have your CPA on hand. You're going to audit. I mean, I now audit. I have a third party auditor audit all my financials. I do that because I want to be transparent to my investors. So, and not a lot of private people do that. I just do. Um, So you do, and the asset management fees, that's what they pay for. Like everybody's like, what are you getting the 2% for? Well, I got to pay an auditor and I got to pay my CPA and I got to pay all these people. Yeah, that's what it's It's, for. It's, it's, it's like, look, these, the, the, the team that makes this thing go, they don't work for free or for peanuts. And, and if they did, then you probably wouldn't be happy with what they were doing. So this is, this is like, look, it's just a cost of doing business. You know, it's like, look, this stuff has to happen Mm -hmm. and these people have to do it. And they like me, but they're not doing it for free. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely. So you have that, and then you have all of the, um, you know, there's all sorts of stuff around it, right? You have to have your property stuff, but even on the corporate side, you need to have someone totally focused on your marketing for your properties, right? And so I do. I have somebody who does that. I have a, a business analyst person that, because no property management software gives you all of the data that you need. Not one, not Yardy isn't even, I mean, Yardy's good and they're close, but 
they still don't. And so there's still stuff that you need to be able to get out of your, I hate my dog, out of your (laughs) property management software. And so you build those tools, right? And so that's what the, the, and then your business analyst is, is supposed to, helping you do market research and things like that because you got to stay abreast of what's going on in the market to know Definitely. what's going to impact your property so you can navigate right and so that's kind of that's kind of the job as an asset manager is to, to stay on top of all that stuff right um you know if there's some sort of local regulation that's going to kill you you need to know that it's coming so you can go get in somebody's ear to tell them going hey that's not cool um, yeah. so you just gotta you need you know that's your job as an asset manager is to stay on top of all that so there's a couple of things that you do and you need a team. And when you go from single family, when you're in single family, you're kind of doing all that kind of stuff yourself or you're not doing it at all. And then you get into multifamily and it becomes necessary or you fail. And so you've got to have, you've got to have a fairly good team doing lots of different functions on the asset management side. And then on the property management side, if you're going to manage yourself, you don't have to, you can get a, you can get a pretty good, property manager but then if you've never property managed before you don't know what to look for and you'll probably pick a bad one and so you just <sighs> it's true i mean i I've, I've gone in as a property i have a property management company and i've gone in to replace other property managers like uh, owners have called me going amy will you please come in and manage this for me and because they were trying to sell it was a short-term gig and i'm like okay you know, and they, <laughs> they just didn't have any luck. And so I would go in and I would kind of straight stuff up and then get ready to sell. And then they would sell it. Right. That's kind of, kind of what I did for them because they, I, they knew them through friends and, and so they asked me to, right. so I did, but I generally don't like doing that because, you know, if they had a property manager there longer than a year, then there's something wrong with the asset manager. And that was very true. I mean, they didn't know what they were doing. So. And there's a lot of people like that. And that's the thing about multifamily. At the end of the day, if you look at multifamily, I would venture to guess about 70 to maybe 80% of the multifamily properties are owned by people who own less than three or four properties. I mean, they're just, they're not, it's not like Graystar doesn't have the largest market share, even though they're huge and they got a crap ton of units all over the United States. If you took all the multifamily properties as a whole, it's still owned by small businesses. It's still owned by people who are t- kind of mom and pop. And so those, so when you're getting into like, say if you're, especially if there are 50 units or less, right? Totally owned by mom and pop. If it's like 300 units, yes, it's some big institution that owns it. And they got some big gray star or somebody or Grace Steel or Graystone or whoever, all these grays <laughs> that are property managing it, right? So those are large institutions. But if you're kind of hanging out in the space between 50 and 80 units or 80 to even 80 to 100 units, you're going to find people that own a couple of them. And that's it. That's, a, that's what they do, right? They owned a couple of them. They got into some mentoring group and said, oh, yeah, this is a great thing to do. And, you know, some of them know what they're doing and some of them don't. And so you just, you just got to understand that. So when you're going to buy you know, properties like that. I mean, the 40 unit I bought, they were doing their accounting on paper. No (laughs) joke. Like the old, remember the old general ledger thing? Oh yeah. Like when you, when we went to school to learn accounting and you had to do the ledger thing, that's how she's keeping track of retention accounts was on paper. Cause you're 70 or 74, 75 years old. They owned a bunch of duplexes and they had this one apartment complex. I just like, 
Oh, my Lord. <laughs> 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 you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I just digitize this, please. How am I supposed to do any sort of, like, get the loan done when I've got everything <laughs> is on paper? <laughs> like, oh, my Lord. So, yes. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you come across all sorts of fun stuff. But, um, so, yeah, you just, you know, so it, it's easy to dif- differentiate yourself. From, I mean, if you get really good and you, and this is another thing, I guess the point is the long answer. You have to study your industry. You have to become a professional at managing property and, and it takes experience and it takes, um, you know, learning a ton just around multifamily. Now, you know, everybody, um, I guess, uh, I have not read this book, but everybody says Joe Fairless's book is really, really good. It is. Um, it is. <laughs> yeah, I haven't. I haven't read it yet. Um. Uh. But there is one book. Um. That if everybody, if they've never invested in a multifamily property, this is where they should start. It's called. It's really. I call it the Bible. But it's basically called multifamily housing, and it's put out every couple of years by the National Apartment Association and the National Multifamily Housing Council. They combine to create this textbook. Basically, it's a textbook on how you put deals together, how you manage property, what you need to, how you evaluate them, how you do this. It just like souped in that. I mean, that's the both, like the whole thing, like how you, how you would acquire, manage, disposition, a multifamily property. And awesome. um, so as an overview, it's very, very good, right? That, that would be my starting place for most people. It's like, go get that book. Yes, it's a crap. It's a couple hundred bucks. The best money you'll have spend. Right. Like if you're not in a investing group, like a mentoring group, I would buy that book. And then if you're in inventory and a mentoring or investment group, they need to tell you to buy that book. Right. I mean, unless their education is just phenomenal. And I've never come across one where their education is phenomenal. Right. <laughs> so. Um, so, yeah. So you just you just that's kind of the stuff you do. And then um, and then you get in and I would suggest that you limited partner. And don't go out and buy a multifamily property. Like even, you know, maybe everybody thinks a four unit is multifamily. Yes, technically Fannie Mae considers it commercial. It's not. It's You're not really doing anything to scale or understanding how you need to do stuff. So, you know, if you're, you were to transition from single family, say you had seven or eight properties, you could easily go buy a 24 unit, probably a 30 unit, something small like that. And that would get you enough um, experience and, and lender requirements and all that kind of stuff, because that's going to be, you might get agency debt for that, or you at least get a local bank. You'll get to understand kind of what they're going to require from you. You're probably going to have to go raise capital. And so you're going to have to understand all the pieces and parts to that. And it's small enough to where, you know, you can't really screw it up unless you're just buying it at an outrageous price. But if you're getting it at a fairly decent price, it's not going to overwhelm you, right? Yeah. 24 units, you don't even have to have a full-time manager on site. Um, I mean, you don't really need a full-time manager. I mean, you can pay for like a part-time one when it's like 40 units or so. You can have pay, you can probably sustain to pay for a part-time one, but you should manage it yourself so that you understand, you know, how to how the game works, right? What you have to deal with and the tenants and all that other stuff. And so that you know the daily life of a property manager because it's it's not easy. And you know, calling them on the first three days of the month is stupid. Like they're collecting rent <laughs> and they're dealing with tenants and having a meeting in the first three days of the month is just futile. Like 
don't do that to them, right? Because they're busy <laughs> yeah. as hell. So, you know, leave them alone. And then, you know, schedule a meeting later in the week. But if you don't know that, and you're like, why can't you meet with me? <laughs> because it's the first of the month, you crazy person. You know? It's just like, you know, just, but if you have a property manager, you just kind of don't know the rush that you get. I mean, the best time to schedule any sort of meeting with a property manager is in the middle of the month because you get the late month rush on leasing. And then the first, you know, the first week or a week and a half is like all people pay the rent or they're paying the rent late or they're dealing with this and, and nobody ever comes to talk to you unless it's rent time. And then they come with like five work orders and you have all this other stuff. <laughs> and it's just like, it's just kind of how it goes. Right. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so those awesome. are my, my big things that I would tell people. So, yeah. Definitely. Now on kind of on more of the personal side, how do you like to give back to your community? Well, I'm, um, I'm on the board of the Arthritis Foundation. It's, I've been um, involved with the Arthritis Foundation for a long time. My mom has fibromyalgia and um, I have personally have arthritis um, and, it, and it affects more people than most people know. I mean, it's the largest, um, the largest disease that veterans have is arthritis, um, when they come back and it's, you know, and they're trying to to cure the deal and it's, and, and kids have it and juvenile arthritis is an autoimmune disease, right? So there's things like lupus is related to arthritis and there's all these different things that are related to arthritis that we don't normally coincide with it, but Mm -hmm. it is. And, um, and you know, when you're, when your joints are inflaming, whether it be on, you know, the actual bone part or around your bone and, and, and the intense pain that you get and all of those kinds of things, um, it, you know, it makes life not livable at some point. Right. And it causes all sorts of mental health issues and all sorts of stuff. So the arthritis foundation is really trying to one, you know, conquer the pain part, right? Like if you can get out of pain, then your life becomes different. Um, and they're really trying to change people's lives through that. So we do a lot of, um, and they've been hit pretty hard. Like most, like most charities during COVID, yeah. right? The donations basically went to nothing. And so, um, and so we've been, um, you know, now it's starting to get better and we've been pushing on a lot of different fronts and looking forward, but the biggest component of all of the stuff the arthritis foundation does is research. We, we spend a lot of money giving a lot of monies to uh, researching grants and stuff to just kind of cure some of the pains that most people feel. And then if, if they can cure it, it would be great. Right. We can somehow cure why the body is attacking itself and inflaming itself. It would lead to other cures and other diseases, which have similar things. Right. So that's kind of, that's kind of our goal. And that's what we're trying to do. So that, so yeah, so it's kind of, that's who I'm with. So I, I spend a lot of time, I'm on the board of the central Texas, um, one. Um, and so we just had one of our, we always have at the end of the year, a, a fundraiser. And so, um, we just had our dingle belt because we had to do it socially, you know, like everybody else who has a run, like you can't like socially distance a run. And so basically what we just did is we had a jingle bell drive. So everybody was in their cars and we went to, um, Santa's ranch in New Braunfels and they all got to, you know, drive, drive around in their cars and we raise money that way. And then we actually are having a run, but it's virtual, um, to raise money for, um, arthritis. So yeah, that's kind of my, awesome. My awesome. And yeah. Awesome. Now, if any of my listeners, if they want to get a hold of you, what's a, what's a 
good way for them to uh, contact you if they, you know, if they just, if they're interested in something you're doing or if they just want to help out, whatever, uh, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? My website is TM, so Tom, Mary, the number one, Mm -hmm. properties, uh, plural, properties, plural.com. And they can get on there and um, that'll give them more of my bio and talk about my latest offering, kind of talk about, you know, everything that we we do as a, an investment group and um, if they want to contact me there, there's a form there, they can contact me. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on. And, um, you know, hopefully my listeners will be in contact and we look forward to talking to you again and getting an update in the future. All right. Great.